So in fact, that from 1980 to 2018, the rate of autism increased by 4,400%. Jesus Christ. 4,400%. Prioritizing profits. Prioritizing prioritizing Dangerous drug and product cases. All righty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Prioritizing Profits, Dangerous Drugs, and Products. Back again this week, another show. Happy to be back, set up finally, and I feel like we're kind of getting into the groove of things now. Well, yeah. I mean, if you had a vehicle and you could get here on a more regular basis, we would be in a better groove, but we're working on that. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Unfortunately, my vehicle was sacrificed. However, I think the uh, family that was being human trafficked would be thankful for the sacrifice of my car uh, to save them. I think so. I think so. And we got to give a a shout out to your lovely girlfriend, Christina, who transports you uh, in your time of need. Yes. very Greatly appreciated. I'm very, very lucky. (laughs) Um, I think we can probably just get started with just some interesting cases in, in the news right now. What's going on? What should be people should be aware of or interested in, I guess. Okay. Well, um, some interesting cases in the news. There's one particularly, uh, I guess, I'm not sure if interesting is the word for it, unique, different, um, uh, very interesting. And this one has actually been in and out of the news for a few months now, but I think it's pretty much resolved. Um, and this just happened this past week. And so what's been going on, and I, I call it the car sex case, Um, And apparently, well, not apparently, but factually, um, a woman contracted HPV, so the human papilloma virus, Mm -hmm. through unprotected sex in a vehicle uh, with a man who apparently knew that he had the virus and failed to disclose it to her. Um, And she wanted to be compensated. the vehicle was a 2014 Hyundai Genesis. So. Oh, wow. Probably not the most comfortable to lay out in. Probably not the most comfortable and probably not indicative that the guy has a lot of assets to uh, compensate yeah, short I, of insurance. I feel coverage. like you look for like a Mercedes <laughs> if you're trying to cash out. <laughs> if you're trying to get an STD in a vehicle, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, um, what happened, this happened... Uh, Back in, when did this happen initially? I think it was 2017. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, they have uh, their, their, their situation in the Hyundai Genesis. She then finds out that she contracted HPV. Um, she learns that he um, actually had been diagnosed with throat cancer. He knew that he had the condition, and wow. he failed to disclose it to her. Um, and she wanted to be compensated. And um, HPV can cause, is kind of known for causing um, uh, genital warts, but it can also cause cervical cancer, which can be a very Jesus. serious, life-threatening yeah. condition. So um, she initially contacted his insurance company, which was Geico, and said, hey, I've been damaged as a result of his use of this vehicle, and I would like to be compensated for my injuries. And Geico said, yeah, no way, no how, no time. We're not paying this. This does not fall within our our policy provisions. So what happened is she then went to him, and they, well, she sent, she actually told him they were, she was going to be filing a lawsuit. 
refused to defend him, um, which is a, a, a different issue from coverage. So there's a, the a duty to defend and also the duty to cover damages yeah. through an insurance policy. Anyway, they refused to defend him. Uh, they, she and the guy then go to a private arbitrator, and the arbitrator awarded her $5.2 million for wow. her injuries. Right. So, but that's all nice and fine. Now she has this arbitration award. <clears throat> How does she get paid? I was going to say, there's no shot that this guy is rocking five mil in the back pocket. <laughs> not much of a shot. I would say not. I would say not. He's got his, got his issues. Um, so anyway, then she takes that piece of paper and goes to Geico and says, you have to pay. So this went through the court system. Um, and initially, the lower court um, upheld it. And it was that's when it really made the news, because was Geico going to have to pay out $5.2 million as a result of this situation? Um, it did actually get then sent back to the, well, their argument was that they didn't have an opportunity to come in and make their arguments because they went to this private uh, arbitration, yeah. which is true. But had they stood up and defended the man, they would have had the opportunity to make those defenses in court. And does, you know, volunteering or if they had said that they were willing to defend him, does that you know, add any, I don't know, responsibility, you know, are they accepting any responsibility by defending their client? No, absolutely not. And I mean, more times than not, even in any kind of car accident case, they're always saying, oh, we're not at fault. Yeah. We don't care if we rear-ended you. We're not saying we're at fault. I mean, we're going to yeah. defend him because this was use of the vehicle and you're making a claim that arising out of the use of the vehicle. Yeah. And that was my question. I mean, use of a vehicle. When <laughs> I, when I think of use of a vehicle, obviously it's probably driving down to the gas station, picking up a Red Bull and, and and coming back. This situation of using is obviously <laughs> a little bit more unique. So, I mean, how, what does that mean for insurance policies going forward with the kind of the looseness of the word? Well, so they, that, that was exactly the issue. So that was very astute of you. Um, exactly what is, you know, the reasonable and expected use of the vehicle and does a sexual encounter fall within that? Yeah. Um, and I guess it depends on who you ask. Mm -hmm. um, and it probably depends on what type of vehicle it is because, I, I mean, you weren't around for this, but, you know, back in the 70s, you know, everybody had their vans mm -hmm. and there was a whole saying like, if the vans rocking, don't come knocking. Yeah. Um, so basically, you know, if you had a van, you pretty much assumed it was like a bachelor pad. Yeah. There's going to be some action going going on well I'm, I'm curious too even in like murder cases for example where they're often you know usually criminally pursued but there's also you know for example oj which that was a that turned into a civil case after he was criminally uh, found not guilty but he was found civilly guilty because the burden of proof is is much lower exactly. um, so would that also apply to for example if someone murdered someone in a car could that family civil sue the insurance company of that person's car no. And so and what this really goes back to is how the insurance companies craft their policies yeah. and the exclusions. Exclusions are the big word. What do they exclude? And so now maybe some insurance companies are going to specifically include sex, exclude, uh. <laughs> exclude sexual encounters or make it very clear that it doesn't apply. But one thing that almost all policies include is an exclusion for criminal activity. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And so that, so again, you know, if it's involved in like a, say a getaway, a bank yeah. robbery, um, or in your situation, um, evading the police. Again, that's a crime. Um, so, so they have a, a, an out there. No. Um, to my knowledge, up until now, they didn't specifically exclude sexual acts. And there's just some, you know, some some sticky things with that too, because you know, if you get too specific, 
then it, it almost implies that if you're not specific about other things, maybe those are included. So it's a it's a fine line that you want to walk, I think. Yeah. Um, but they they um, definitely this court held that this was not the normal and expected use of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So it looks like that it's probably um, that that's probably the end of that, and she's not going to collect her five point two million dollars, yeah. unfortunately. But you know, one thing that kind of comes up, and, and I have, um, and again, this varies state by state also um, what the laws are there. But then there, it, but there have been cases that have come up with homeowners uh, policies uh, yeah. where there has been negligent transmission of sexually transmitted diseases. There's also been, um, you know, sexual assault cases, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and those oftentimes have fallen under the purview of the homeowners. Really? Yeah. Even if it's a criminal act? Well, it's interesting because you want to craft your complaint carefully. Yeah. Um, so there have been some situations where, um, for example, like in a sexual assault case, the sexual assault occurred in the home and we can argue that the homeowner, perhaps the parents, were negligent. Okay. So now we get out of the criminal. The, the yeah. parents were negligent in supervising mm-hmm. the, the son or could be a daughter, whoever committed the sexual assault. Um, and there are a variety of ways that you can, can try to argue it. But sometimes um, it has come under, um, under the homeowners. There's also the argument that somebody perhaps negligently transmitted the disease. Perhaps they didn't realize, mm-hmm. um, you know, they didn't, in- the, the purpose of having, you know, the sexual relations was not to infect the person. So it wasn't an intentional act, again, another yeah. exclusion. So it's kind of, it's, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing. And you could certainly go down all kinds of uh, rabbit yeah. holes with that. And I feel like it's probably just a good example overall of just, you know, even if you don't think you have a case, if you've been done wrong in any way, you know, it's probably good to reach out. Because, I mean, this, I, I, this woman in this car sex case, I mean, I would have never imagined there was anything that she could do about it other than going to the police. Because I know that there that is like a criminal um, there, there has been a history of, of, of criminal actions like that. So other than going to the police, I would have never guessed that, you know, she could have taken any other action and, you know, she got awarded 5.3 million. Unfortunately, she's not going to end up seeing that, but you know, if that had gone through, that would have been insane because I would have never even thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and people oftentimes think, you know, there's not going to be any coverage, but you'd be surprised how much homeowners does cover. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, it's always worth talking to an attorney. Um, you know, we're always happy to talk to people. Um, and, you know, lots of times we're having to tell them, I'm sorry, you know, yes, this was a horrible thing that happened to you, but there's not going to be coverage for it. Yeah. But then again, there are circumstances where people do have assets where, uh, they can actually pay out of pocket for damages. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's actually, um, there are some states have statutes where a parent is responsible up to a certain amount of money for intentional and negligent acts of their child, um, can be up to a hundred thousand dollars, um, you know, that sort of thing. So again, um, you know, it may not be an obvious situation, but if you have sustained damages and long-term damages, because, you know, this is going to require medical treatment. It increases risk of really serious conditions, that sort of thing. Um, now, on top of this case, has there been any other notable ones that have been popping up or 
oh, there's always notable things popping yeah. up all the time. But, uh, but, but, but of course, we don't want to focus only on just the interesting and unique, crazy things that are happening out there in the world. But, um, but that one's kind of, kind of a juicy one. And um, it's, uh, I think it's probably done now, but it's been kind of in and out of the news for a while. So I did want to uh, address it. Um, another just kind of interesting, strange thing uh, that is in the news currently are um, well, Tesla. Tesla's always in the news and there's something here or something there going on with it. But there's been a couple of situations lately where people are driving their vehicle and the steering wheel just pops off in their hands. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy. And, and I mean, I know that Tesla has kind of like the auto driving feature. That's been in the news and litigation lately. Too. Yeah, I know. I saw that as well. So it's interesting that not only is there issues with the auto driving, but it's not even letting you drive the car yourself. <laughs> oh, well, no, you're driving. The, you're driving the vehicle. And then while you're driving, the uh, steering wheel comes off. But and so this is actually a manufacturing defect. So this isn't necessarily a design defect, but it's something that happened during the manufacturing process. And what happened is that there is a bolt that they forgot to Wow, a single bolt and <laughs> the entire bolt wheel comes off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so they're right now investigating, uh, you know, how many cases, how many vehicles might be affected, and yeah. what kind of, you know, what what action they're going to take on that. Um, if I had a Tesla. I would be calling my dealership and saying, I need you to take a look at this. I'm not sure I want to even drive it That's over there. Terrifying. Um, but make sure that this bolt is, um, uh, you know. Is there secure. models that this is happening to primarily or that this bolt is specifically in? Or is it just kind of... Um, you know, recent years. Yeah. Models. So the ones that we're aware of are the 2023 Model Y. Okay. Model yeah. Y. And then 2023 I Model Y. So, so, you know, again, this is just happening very recently. Um, we're aware of two situations where this occurred. Um, luckily, uh, they were able to bring the vehicle to a stop and did not involve accidents or serious injuries. Um, but again, we don't know, and apparently they don't know at this point how many um, how many are out there with this issue. Yeah, that's insane. I think you know, especially with recall cases. Last show we talked about recall a ton. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's terrifying. Is especially when you have a 2023 car. I know from personal experience, when I get a new car, the last thing you think is anything's going to go wrong. It's kind of like a, you have a certain net under you where you're like, okay, I know I at least have a good 10 K miles or nothing it should go wrong because I just got a, you know, brand new car and the 2023 with a wheel falling off. That's probably the worst. Yeah. Thing like the first week you're driving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually it's like the 50,000 miles or so that's covered under the warranty. And at least if something does go wrong, you know, that they're going to get it fixed and they're going to, it's not going to be out of pocket for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was pretty scary. I saw that. I was like, whoa, because again, I'm, I'm coming up on time to switch out my car and I know you've been pushing for me to get a Tesla for a while. Um, Maybe not anymore. I've been seeing the Lucids. The Lucids look really oh, nice. Yeah. No, I have a friend who got a Lucid. Maybe that's probably been over a year or so. Um, but that looks pretty, pretty interesting. They have a warehouse between Scottsdale and Tucson. It's right. right next to Casa Grande. It's a massive warehouse and tons of, uh, you know, the massive trucks right out front, but there's nothing around it. It's crazy. You just look out in the desert and you see Lucid in a massive building, nothing huh. around it. You know, I bet I've seen that building, but I, I didn't realize it was Lucid. So that's interesting that we have one that close. Maybe yeah. that pushes for it and their, their steering wheels stay intact. <laughs> well, I do want to move on to other cases because there's always a ton of cases going on. Um, we should probably just hop into updates on cases that we've discussed in the past. And then 
I know we kind of hinted at it last week with some new cases that we're looking at now, but let's just start with updates. Okay. Well, and actually just one, one we'll, we'll try to update at least one campaign, one case um, that's going on each week. Um, today, I wanted to just touch again on the talc cases. Um, I know we've talked about those before, and those have been going on for a really long time. We did kind of a deep dive into the Texas two-step and how J&J tried to get out from under these, yeah. this, this sneaky tax about putting um, all of the cases into, you know, a subsidiary that then was bankrupt. Anyway, they did not get away with that. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as a result, those cases are back on the dockets. They're back on their trial schedule. Um, They're getting tried. um, And and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of an exciting, exciting time. Um, There are verdicts are coming in and there have been just crazy huge verdicts in the past. Um, But so just this past week, there was a $29 million verdict that came in on behalf of a woman. And the reason I wanted to touch on this was that um, it's a, it's a, there are a couple of different um, different paths for these cases, and a, a lot of what we've heard about are the ovarian cancer cases um, where the talc is used after the shower and that sort of thing. But there are also a number of cases that involve mesothelioma, um, really horrible cancer, the lining of the lungs and, and potentially other organs. Um, and this was a case that, again, involves the talc, but in cosmetic products. And the woman, um, she was very young. She was like in her 30s. I believe she's like a mother of three and came down with this fatal cancer um, and was able to establish to the jury that it was from years and years of using these cosmetic products that had um, the talc in them. And, you know, you and you see these the mesothelioma cases also more often um, if you have a, a male plaintiff. Um, because a lot of men would use the talc um, on their chest. on their chest, um, underarms, that sort of thing, um, especially like in, in hot climates like we live in, thank goodness, um, where you sweat a lot. And so they would kind of put the talc on and then it was more in their, their face area where they were inhaling it. So um, the talc cases are not just ovarian cancer. They're also mesothelioma. Um, and these cases, they're strong cases. I mean, they are coming in with some crazy big verdicts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and J&J is going to have to do something. Um, they're going to, I don't think they're going to want to keep litigating these and keep getting these huge verdicts yeah. you know, racking up and having to ultimately pay them. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens on that. But, um, you know, they're, they're still, these are still viable cases. I think a lot of people were hesitant to contact attorneys. Attorneys were hesitant to take cases while this whole Texas two-step mess was going on. But right now, um, you know, there, there, there's, there's <laughs> the protection is gone. So um, if it's something you've been thinking about, definitely get in touch with somebody. Um, because again, when they uh, set up a settlement protocol, um, it, you know, it may be too late to get in on that. Yeah, it seems like, you know, now that the Texas two-step is, is pretty much died. Um, it's been killed. It's been, it's been killed. It's been buried. You Yay. Know, thank God. That's your job. And cases are back on the docket. Um, it's great to hear some of these are settling and the cases are awful. I mean, that some of these just sound so terrible, but it's good that, you know, these are settling for such large amounts because, you know, like you've said in the past, that's the only way that yeah. they really feel it. Well, and back up because you said the term settling and it's settling, actually, yeah. these are actually verdicts. Verdicts. Individual um, cases that individual. are receiving verdicts and then they'll want to settle it. And when that happens, that's when 
everyone in the country comes together and there's kind of like levels that they fit into? There can be, yes. So that would be like a global global settlement protocol. And I mean, that's ultimately good for everybody. I mean, and at some point, you know, the companies have to stop I mean, you can't keep getting 29 million, 50 yeah. million. You got to you know, stop these, the bleeding. You, you got to stop it. Um, it. But the good thing about these hitting them is that it's showing them, yes, you know, you, you're, you're busted. Yeah. You got caught doing this. You're not fooling anybody. You're not winning these cases. You're not yeah. convincing juries that you didn't know about it since 1970 and you didn't know exactly what you were doing and you chose not to warn. So, um, you know, so that's that's what it takes sometimes to get them to the settlement table is getting slammed a bunch of times. And I feel like for, I mean, I, I, I'm used to this, right? I'm, I've heard about it, but... <laughs> Since you were a little baby. Coming from a perspective of someone that doesn't have like any background knowledge, you know, what does this mean for the future of Johnson & Johnson where they're paying these absurd, you know, 27 million individual verdicts? It looks like they're going to have to take this to a massive settlement. And these are cases that have been going on since 1970 and they've been aware of, you know, what kind of, other than, you know, hopefully a massive settlement down the line, what what's the future for Johnson & Johnson? Well, the, the, it's, it's a good question and it actually goes to what was addressed in the whole Texas two-step ordeal is that they were saying, we can't, we can't pay, oh my gosh, poor us, we're poverty stricken, we can't handle these. And the, the whole issue was that no bankruptcy is for a company that really can't sustain can't can't sustain business with these verdicts this company is huge is ridiculous and they can pay and so they should um what what will happen um i mean and again but this this goes back to what's best for them and they should be talking to their shareholders about this um is is to stop the bleeding like we talked about to compensate people um and i think i I don't know what term you used about that maybe insane verdicts um but absurd i think absurd yeah but so and, and that kind of goes to a question, too. What's absurd? I mean, yeah, if you're a 35-year-old mother of three and you're dying and you're leaving your family, um, I mean, is that an absurd number at that point? I, you know, I, I, you're right. You're right. Maybe it wasn't the, the right word. I think that it's, it's difficult because all of these things are, you know, I... There are things that you can't put a price tag on, right? right? Your life, you know, missing out on your kids' graduations, on them growing up, on their first steps. Like, those are things that you can't put amounts on. But anyone that have, has experienced it, I haven't. I'm sure would put hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of right. price tag on those experiences. So even though $23 million may be like, oh my God, what could anyone do with that money when you are – you know, actually putting it to these experiences, is it is it absurd? Yeah. Well, and, and to, to be fair, it's not all compensatory. And that, and this goes to, you know, a, a really important issue is that the difference between compensatory damages and punitive damages. And, and the classic example of this is going to always be that McDonald's case. Yeah. Um, and again, you, you know, what is compensatory? I mean, you have crazy medical expenses. You have the uh, loss of life, loss of relationship with your children, all of that. And that should be big. I mean, I think that should be in the millions. Should it be $29 million? Well, I don't know. But then you get to the punitive and uh, the punitive aspect and the fact that we know the only way that these companies will stop doing yeah. this is if it hurts them. If they say, you know, the average mother of three is worth $3 million, 
they can pay for a lot of mothers of three. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they're making so much with this product that maybe they just choose to do that. Yeah. But then if you take it to the punitive aspect and you say, how much money does this company have as in the McDonald's situation? How much are they making off of their sales of coffee? And how much will it take to hurt them? Yeah. I mean, that's the question on punitive damages. And, and if it's a huge company, it takes a huge number to hurt them. Yeah. And so so the, the, the message that's being sent with a lot of these verdicts is you did something that was horrible, that was atrocious, that you, you knew you were hurting people, um, and we're going to give them a, a good sum of money for what they've gone through, but we're also going to slam you and yeah. try to make you stop doing this. Mm-hmm. And... I, you know, I think those that that's the biggest thing that you can do, right, is make them feel it and then try to, um, you know, attain or give any type of, of return to the families or to the victims of, of these cases. I think, you know, the mu- frustrating part and shocking part for a lot of people is that, you know, even though this case or this has been going on since 1970 and they're going to feel it. There's been cases like this in the past that are so, you know, insane and, and, and so many people have been affected and the pharmaceutical companies, they feel it in the settlement, but you know, 10, 20 years down the line, they release something else that ends up doing the same thing or, you know, having more issues as well. They're sneakier. They're going to get away with it this time. Well, they got caught last time, but, yeah. you know, I mean, it's a big money-making money making business. Yeah. And it's just, you know, I, I was reading something just yesterday that kind of struck me. Um, it was just like this little reminder that, you know, the drug companies are in the business of making money for their shareholders. That's what, that's what the business is. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, there are good things that come out of it. Yes, they help cure diseases, um, hopefully make life better for a but lot of people. Not for the good of, you know, from the good of their heart. <laughs> right, but that's that's not the nature of the business. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, it's it's not a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a company that is beholden to its investors, that has to make money for its investors, um, and, and that's, that's their job. Mm-hmm. So, And... I want to make sure we have enough time to go into some of the future cases because I know there's a lot to discuss there. I wanted to see if there's any um, any last updates around the talc verdict or anything else that you wanted to say to people that might be considering or thinking they might have issues with that. Well, so it, it's ongoing. Like I said, I mean, I do feel like that like something's going to happen. I mean, that there was a huge turning point. There was a huge turning point when they realized that they were not going to get away with just disposing of all of these cases for pennies on the dollar through this, you know, this, this whole Texas two-step crazy thing. So so that was a big turning point. And now, I mean, I don't know exactly what they're, they're talking about behind closed doors, but I cannot imagine that they're not talking. Well, first of all, they have decided they're not going to use talc in their products going forward. Yeah, good. Yeah. So Thank they're God. pulling the talc. So, so that's a, a huge step. We're going to stop future cases uh, in this for, for this particular issue from happening. Um, but then they also, they've got all of these cases out there that were on hold, and now they're not. Mm-hmm. And these cases, um, I mean, people have died in this holding period. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's terminal disease. I mean, mesothelioma pretty much always. And, and do those cases become more severe? I mean, I, I, I'm assuming as the conditions become to it be, it become worse and worse, and as people die, those cases kind of become better and better. Uh, you know, I, th- I think it, it depends. They, they can. I mean, there's something about having the person available to testify yeah. about what they're going through. 
what what most attorneys do in these scenarios where the person is likely not to survive till the trial is that they do the videotape depositions. Mm. Um, so they preserve the testimony and that helps. I mean, and who knows? I mean, is do they award more when they see the person talking a videotape and know they've passed? Do they award more when they're sitting in front of them and know that they will pass? I, you know, I, I think that, I, I you know, who knows? It probably depends on the individual plaintiff, on the individual yeah. jury. That's no real situation. answer there. It's just something I, I don't know, thought yeah. about. Thought it might have an influence. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know last week we, we ended the show talking about a potential case or a case that you've recently discovered and has to do with Tylenol and its connection with autism. I don't know if you want to start and just kind of give a quick overview yeah, absolutely. And, and just first of all, it's actually, it's not a particularly new case. Okay. Um, and this is a case that actually has, the cases have been filed and enough cases have been filed that it has been consolidated. Um, and it's been consolidated in uh, in New York, in the Southern District of New York. And so these cases, they've been filed um, over the last couple of years, but the consolidation happened in October of this past year, in October of 2022. So it's early in the sense that um, the litigation, the consolidated litigation, the multi-district litigation is relatively new, and but it's going crazy because we've, we've talked a little bit in the past too about how um, once a case gets consolidated, so many more cases get filed. Yeah. Because now we're filing them directly. You're not going to file them in your home state and get them transferred in. Um, and there's a whole process. Um, so, so it speeds things up a lot. And so yeah. we are in those early stages of it, but the situation, um, has been going on for, for quite a while. And, um, the gist of it is that, um, so acetaminophen, which basically is best known as Tylenol, um, has for a long time, certainly when I was pregnant, it's been the, um, analgesic, the pain med of choice f- recommended by doctors for women when they're pregnant. So we're always told, don't take aspirin, don't take ibuprofen. It can pose a risk to your child. But we were also told, Tylenol's fine, take Tylenol. And so people have always taken Tylenol. Um, and, and, and there are circumstances where even if there's a risk, it might make sense. For example, if you have like a horrendous fever that could affect your, your fetus, um, you need to get that fever down. And yeah. perhaps the Tylenol is going to be the best option to do that. But if you just have a headache here or there, or you have some aches and pains, again, you're not going to want to put your child at risk if you're told that there is a risk. Mm-hmm. And we were not. And what's the risk? Uh, well, it's the risk, uh, it's a it's significantly increased risk of developing autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole slew of conditions kind of within that category. And we'll, we'll talk about those a little yeah. bit also. Um, but you know, that there's, um, you know, and again, this goes back, it always goes back to dollars. Um, and the uh, Tylenol, became, as of 1976, it was the absolute number one analgesic over the counter. Wow. Yeah. Boom. You know, and before that it was, you know, the aspirin or ibuprofen. Um, So it just shot up there. And it's, you know, and again, you don't, (laughs) you don't know this, but but when I was growing up, autism, I had never heard the word. I mean, you know, and, and kids in my you know, elementary school, junior high school, I didn't know anybody who was autistic. Really? Uh-uh. No, wow. absolutely not. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, there. it just, the, the autism diagnoses just took off 
like skyrocketed starting in around 1980. Yeah. So in fact, that from 1980 to 2018, the rate of autism increased by 4,400%. Jesus Christ. 4,400%. 4, from 1980 till 19, till 2018. That is insane. Well, it's insane. And then also, whoa, when does, when does Tylenol become the big thing? 1976. And when do you start diagnosing children with autism? Around three years old, four years old. Around 1980. How crazy is That's that? That's insane. Isn't it insane? That is crazy. Well, and, 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 but we've known. I mean, this has been a big hot topic for years. Like, why, why, why are all these kids getting diagnosed with autism? I mean, yeah, 4,000%. I feel like this is information that before the Tylenol thing came up, like that people are aware of that. And you look at that and you look at those stats and you're like, this, is, this cannot be normal. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we're coming to. And, but, but there's a lot of things that kind of have, have to coalesce to, to, to figure out a connection. And so one of the things, there was, you know, this huge, huge push maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago where they were really just talking about, could it be vaccines? Because vaccines had become yeah. much more common and there were so many more of them. Um, and there was a big push to, a lot of parents decided not to vaccinate their children because they were worried that that was a cause of autism. I remember there's this entire like social media propaganda thing where like vaccine causes autism. And it was like, I mean, kind of a joke. I think there was a South Park episode about it. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, again, everybody, people are looking like what's happening. We see this happening. We see so many children suffering from this and, and what is happening. Something's changed because this wasn't how it was before. Yeah. Um, and, but they did kind of disprove that the vaccines were related. And now, and there are these studies have been going on for a long time. I mean, we're looking like, so back in like uh, 1975, they, there was a study that actually did confirm that acetaminophen crossed the placental barrier. Um, so it does, it does actually get through. But then, yeah. but again, lots of things do, but once it crosses, does it cause a problem? Well, we don't know. But there were studies 2010, 2013, 2014, um, and, and a lot of rat studies where they were having rats that were um, exposed to acetaminophen um, in utero, and they were coming out and they couldn't do the mazes like the other rats. Really? Um, yeah. And they were actually then, then looking at their brains and finding out that there had been damage to the brain cells during development. Oh, my God. Right. So uh, <laughs> this has been going on for a really long time. Ultimately, in 2021, there was um, a journal published a consensus statement um, where a number of, of doctors and experts got together and said that Tylenol during pregnancy is not safe and it can lead to higher rates of autism. So that's when the litigation kind of took off, was, in, was you know, people started getting organized and really looking at this and pulling the case yeah. together it was in 2021. As I said, cases started getting filed. Um, the, the case, the, the, the multi-district litigation was consolidated in October of last year. But this is one of these really kind of hot new topics and things are developing all the time and we're learning more and more all the time. Um, and, you know, and a couple things just that jumped out at me that when, when I first started learning about this, just kind of freaked me out, <laughs> is I remember back in the 1980s, there were a couple of situations where um, Tylenol got recalled for a short period. Mm -hmm. There was, um, I just would turn about a couple of different people, crazy people who were tampering with Tylenol and yeah. putting cyanide in it. And so people bought Tylenol over the counter and they died of cyanide poisoning. And that was actually when the whole tamper-resistant um, uh, bottles came into existence. Because before that, people were like, oh, you just screw off the cap, no big deal. Who's no. going to go in and put cyanide in 
Tylenol or any medication and put it back on the shelf. But it happened. You know, it, it happened. Uh, this was actually the first time was in 1982. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Nobody's using Tylenol. I mean, it's yeah. all over the news. It's on the Today Show. Did they catch the guy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering. So, um, and then, but then you look and all of a sudden following that, oh, there's a dip in autism. I mean, we wow. know this now. Yeah. But at the time, okay, because now looking back when we are suspicious, we can look back. Yeah. It happened again in 1986. Again, cyanide. Tylenol, recall, dip in autism. I mean, holy shit. And and, and is the dip in autism, do you see it that year? Do you see it in two or three years when it's usually... Yeah, you have to look back because, again, kids aren't getting diagnosed at birth. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, you look back, and again, it's hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We can look back now and we can say, when were there dips in the diagnosis of autism and count that back and what happened did it did it correlate with anything and holy shit it did that's insane it lines yeah. up with people that would have been pregnant during the time of when tylenol was just off the shelf right who were being told fine take tylenol it'll help it's it's fine it won't hurt you but then they were scared of the cyanide poisoning and dying and they didn't take it and so their kids didn't get autism that's crazy so this has been building up for a long time 20 30 years Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, look at so twenty. This huge jump that starts in nineteen eighty. Yeah. What's going on? And 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 people have been asking that for a long time. Um, and there, you know, there's another interesting correlation too, um, and that is that um, not all countries sell acetaminophen over the counter. So Cuba, for example, you cannot buy acetaminophen OTC uh, over the counter. You have to get a prescription for it, and people do not. It's just it's not a common it's not a common medication. Their rates of autism two to four in ten thousand. Oh. Ours one in forty four. Oh my god! So if you were in a country where you couldn't get this, you know, and again, th- there's a lot that goes into establishing these, but these are red flags, um, and they certainly. I mean, it just gives me chills. It you does. Know, it gives me I mean, chills to that. yeah. One of these alone is like okay, that's that's weird. That's odd. But it, it's so interesting that you go back and once you have this previous knowledge, you know, foresight, you can kind of use these comparisons and see that there's just these consistent time periods of, you know, Tylenol not being available and autism going down. Just a very clear connection. Yeah, yeah. And several different times periods of, yeah. of just years. And that's insane. That's crazy. And the 4,000 increase percent um, with the numbers compared to Cuba uh, it, it's almost like shocking with how much information you know we're hearing right now that it took twenty to thirty years for all of this to come out. Yeah. But what what's happening now? Because I mean, that now that it is clearly escalated to just such an insane amount, what's next up? Well, so we think it's clear. <laughs> yeah. We think it is obviously. They're gonna. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but but the various manufacturers of acetaminophen are of course arguing that there's no way, no how, no time. Kind of like J and J did with the talc. So we'll see how this all plays out. And again, like you said, this is kind of early on in the litigation. And one of the things that happens once you get these suits filed is that discovery happens, and we start getting access to documents that are, you know, that that they that are not public. And that we haven't seen. I mean, we can look at these public studies and see these connections, and we can look at you know the the history and and the rates of autism and when they dropped when they dropped, and we can kind of put this puzzle piece together. But the real hard evidence and what they knew and when they knew it that's in their coffers. We haven't, we haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's all kinds of issues about what we really will get. They'll try to keep us from getting. But there's going to be a heck of a lot of stuff coming out now, and I think that it's going to be pretty shocking. I mean, I think this could be in the next big talc thing. 
something, um, something along those lines, um, you know, and, 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 and talc, I mean, I do not mean to downplay talc at all. Um, I mean, horrible and, and deadly, um, you know, and these are, are different, but they're also, I mean, these are children who oftentimes are disabled. I yeah. mean, there's all different levels. Um, uh, you know, it is a spectrum disorder yeah. and some people are, are minimally affected and some people are, are completely disabled. Yeah. And the, um, and it's just, I, 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 really feel for the parents who have um, gone through this with their children, especially in the earlier years when less was understood about it. And, you know, the services, um, educational, the programs, I mean, those have been built up over these recent years. Mm -hmm. Um, The acceptance of it, um, it, it's just uh, the the, um, prevention of discrimination. I mean, all of these things have happened over these last 30 years. I mean, at the beginning, uh, I, I can't even imagine what it was like going through the process of having your child diagnosed and yeah. trying to get the services and and everything that they needed. Um, and that has been just, I'm, I'm sure, devastating, but also very expensive. Um, and then a lot of times these children, as they become adults, can't live on their own. Mm -hmm. So there are really significant damages and long-term lifelong damages that, again, they should be compensated for, um, you know, if in fact we can establish that these companies knew about Mm -hmm. the risk and chose, chose not to, um, you know, not to warn about that risk. And again, then the most vulnerable, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. pregnant women, (laughs) And, and, you know, what just I think makes this so interesting as well is that it's um, compared to, for example, like talc. Like I haven't heard of, of talc. I'm not familiar with talc, but Tylenol as a product is something that I think is just everywhere. It's I in mean, everybody's at, medicine cabinet. Every single person's medicine cabinet, every single person in the United States at least is aware of Tylenol, I would say, and probably is taking it at one point, even if you don't remember it when you were a kid. And... Uh, something that you you mentioned as well is that when you were a kid, when you were in school, middle school, and high school, you know, autism just wasn't, it wasn't you weren't even thing. aware. You weren't mm-hmm. even aware. Of it. And, yeah. and, that, and that was so crazy for me to hear because when I went through middle school and high school, like, it was very normal for there to at least be like one autistic kid in each grade. And like you said, it's a, it's an entire spectrum. So a lot of time, you know, you could, you couldn't tell, or sometimes you could, um, but the fact of just like how you can see it in everyday life mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the, the families that are affected with this is it's a lifelong um, learning experience and challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and you were saying like one in every, I mean, one in 44. I mean, I mean, in a, in a grade, in a class, I mean, there, you're going to have multiple. Yeah. You're going to have, I mean, it's, it's, it's so prevalent, so prevalent. And you know, I think this is what is also so interesting about mass torts is because all of these cases affect so many people in such a large way, life-changing, right? And you have cases like the talc where we're talking about people that are dying, that are, you know, missing out on family experiences um, and having these diseases. And obviously, 
absolutely terrible and then you just have something that's completely different and also terrible in its own way is this autism uh, or is Tylenol you know possibly causing autism that is then having a lifelong effect Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess just the the, what I thought was interesting is just the massive variety both so terrible what impacts to these families but just in different ways absolutely and you know and all of them are different I mean and then you go to you know the cases where you have say um, you know a metal on metal hip implant and I mean it's a horrible traumatic thing to have to go through a revision surgery. But again, it's, you know, it's maybe six months, it's a year of your life. Mm. And then you're, you know, assuming you don't have terrible complications, it it may not be as huge of a situation. Um, But really, it goes back to why we have multi-district litigations, why we have these mass tort cases. And that is that it's anything where a lot of people are affected. um, And it's a big old company that you're dealing with. And so when you can get a lot of people to come together to share resources, um, to share the knowledge, um, and to to pursue the companies, that's your best shot at getting these cases resolved, whatever type they are. Yeah. And, uh, and so for families that um, have autism in the family or for parents that have kids with autism, you know, what do they do with this information? Because I'm sure this is shocking to a lot of people. Like, I, I mean, I, I would assume a lot of these families, you know, their kid is born with autism and it's just like, okay, well, this is, you know, the, the hand that we're dealt. Um, exactly. Exactly. And a lot of times, you know, they're just told, well, it just happens periodically. And, it, you know, a variety of different things could have caused it that they really don't know. And they're just basically trying to get through their lives and do mm-hmm. the best they can and take care, um, you know. But, but yeah. Um, so basically what I... You know, again, this is relatively early on, but cases are being filed. If you do have somebody in your family who um, was diagnosed with autism and uh, the mother took Tylenol during the pregnancy, um, absolutely it's worth getting in touch with an attorney. I mean, there are some there are some cases that are stronger versus not as strong depending on the time of the diagnosis. You know, for example, as this information comes out, people who are pregnant, you know, next year, next month, and they're taking Tylenol when they could have had this information, those cases aren't going to be as strong because it's going to be seen that maybe they, they, they knew about the risk and they took the risk, even though mm-hmm. it's not still, it's not listed on the, on the label or anything. Um, as more information comes out, the cases get less strong, but, but people who were diagnosed in the past, certainly after about 2013, when some of these studies were coming out, yeah. um, and the information was available, um, to the drug companies, um, those are really, really strong cases. Um, and there can be other factors, other exposures that can contribute. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you do want somebody to, to really look at on an individual basis, to look at the medical records, the medical history, um, to give you, uh, you know, advice on, on how to pursue your case. But absolutely, um, if, if you or you have a child who is diagnosed with autism and there was uh, acetaminophen during pregnancy, which, I mean, how could there not be? I was Who did say, never most, take it? You know, yeah. it's just. Um, but, but also to to be fair, I mean, the the more exposure, and these studies do show this, the more exposure. Um, the higher the risk. Mm-hmm. But again, you have people who had conditions, who had you know chronic pain conditions, um, migraines, whatever, and they couldn't take these other you know, opioid or, you know, other painkillers that maybe they took before, the only thing they could take was Tylenol and they were assured it was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I do not want to be placing any blame on the parents because I could tell you, we were told it was fine. I was told yeah. when I was pregnant with you, you know, don't take anything else, you know, but you can take, take Tylenol if you need it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, it, and, and, and again, more is a higher risk, but really if you took any of it, it's worth checking it out, um, yeah. talking to an attorney. I mean, we'd always be happy to talk to you, of course. Yeah. And I would imagine this would be, you know, frustrating information to hear as well, mm, because, yeah. you know, it feels like it's kind of just a hand you've been dealt and you were told that it Tylenol is what you should be taking. It's the, what's safe. And, you know, goes back to our entire point of being aware of the risks and then being able to make a decision based off those risks. Um, You know, people think that it's safe and then clearly there's potential that it's not. Um, So I I would assume with a case this size and with how many people could be affected, things would move a little slowly. But I know you mentioned with it being recently consolidated, things have kind of been picking up a little bit. Well, so it's been picking up in the sense that there's a lot of filings. There's a lot of cases coming forward. There's a lot of buzz about it. There's a lot of information. So people actually know that it's a possible case. So they're coming to lawyers. Lawyers are getting the cases filed. So it's moving quickly in that sense. But yeah, it's 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 a big litigation. Um, there's going to be some really tough fighting over getting those internal yeah. documents and finding out, you know, looking for those smoking guns and the types of things of what the companies knew and when they knew it. Um, so, I mean, it's it's not going to be settling next week or anything. This is going to be, you know, multiple years. Um, but again, that doesn't, there, there are still time limits on when you need to get your case filed. Yeah. And that comes from when you knew or should have known of the connection. And the more information that gets out there, the more likely it is that they could say, hey, they've been talking about this since 2023 on on the Prioritizing Profits uh, podcast, (laughs) and everybody listens to that. So clearly, you should have been on notice, and you should have gotten your case by. Clearly, you should have known and gotten But 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 again, I mean, the more that it's in the news, you do see companies point back to that. Yeah. Um, And so so if, if it is a concern, if it's something that might have affected you or your family, you know, definitely talk to somebody sooner or later. They might not have to file the complaint tomorrow, but they you at least want to have them on board and yeah. ready to file the complaint when it needs to when it needs to get filed. Always better to reach out sooner rather than later, but I think this is kind of a good example of, you know, what a mass tort case looks like mm-hmm. on a massive scale. Because I think when a lot of people kind of hear personal injury, hear of mass tort and they hear about these these um, devices or medications that have issues, they're, you know, prosthetic hips. When I hear about prosthetic hip, I'm like, I, you know, that sounds terrible, but I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. When it's something like Tylenol and autism that is just, you know, countrywide, obviously, like we've discussed, everyone takes Tylenol. This is something that I could easily see popping up on CNN in a few weeks or, in a, you know, and even in a year once these start to really come out um, and just blowing up. And so with it and with so many potential victims of a case like this, you know, what does the time frame look like and how, you know, how is this terrain kind of navigated for such a large case and long time frame? Well, they they uh, it varies. I mean, every litigation um, is is different, um, but this is one of the bigger ones. And so, I would equate this more, say, with the talc, mm-hmm. which has gone on for a lot of years, um, than maybe something with you know the prosthetic hips or something along those lines. Um, and again, where there's actually a, a, you know a, a, an identified recall, um, you know, some of those maybe take a couple of years, um, you know. This, I think, is going to be, you know, a long, a long, hard-fought process. Um, so, so I would, yeah, I mean, it, it's more along the talc lines. I know, you know, because we've been talking about how long this is going to take um, or, you know, how long this case is going to go on. Um, for people, do you have anything you want to say for to people that might be hesitant to reaching out or... 
Yeah, actually, I do, and you know, and this is a this is a difficult case, and it's different in some ways. Um, when you're talking about cases that involve um, uh, children who are affected in utero, um, there's there's like this. It's really hard on moms. I mean, I think all moms, you know, we're kind of we feel so responsible for you guys, you know, and we feel, you know, and when you you find out you're pregnant, I mean, you just well, you want to do everything right, and you know, you just want to be that perfect host body, and you just don't want to put any, you know, I mean, I mean, it's all, um, it, it's scary in a way. You can kind of almost lose yourself. I mean, you're about, you know, making this child, and you love this child before you can even conceive of him or her, you know, and and um, it's just a very intense experience, and I think that people sometimes are hesitant. Um, when they hear about something like this, they're like, oh, I didn't, I, I, I don't want to think I did something. I, you know, I took something, I hurt my child, I caused this, I made life difficult for him or her. I mean, it's just so gut-wrenching. Um, but I think it's important to realize that, you know, we all did the best that we could with the information we were given. And, you know, if we're lied to, if we were lied to and we were told that something was perfectly safe, we didn't do anything wrong. I mean, that's so critical, I think, um, you know, to, to instead of um, feeling bad or feeling guilty, feel angry, feel pissed off. Yeah. Feel like, you know, I mean, again, I know that every, well, every parent I know of an autistic child has been fighting a fight. They've been fighting the system to get what that child needs mm -hmm. since that child was diagnosed. And probably before that, even getting a diagnosis can be a real nightmare. I mean, it can be so difficult. Um, there's just a shortage of, of uh, you know, available services and, and people who are well-educated and well-versed in this. So, I mean, my, what I would just want to say is you didn't do this. This isn't your fault. Um, and I know you love your child, um, you know, and you've been fighting for him or her for a long time. Keep fighting, you know, and there's a yeah. whole bunch of people who want to fight with you and we want to stop the drug companies from hurting kids. Yeah. You know, and again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. You got to hit them where it hurts. You got to say, Hey, you're busted. We caught you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you hurt our children, and we need to figure out a way to make sure that you don't hurt children in the future. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that's exactly right. You know, keep keep fighting. And I can't imagine that feeling of you know bringing someone into this world, wanting to do everything you can to you know make it as perfect as possible, and using all the information you have that you're given to from the trusted sources that you have, and you know being misled whether it's yeah. unintentionally or unintentionally misled and, and um, having, you know, these terrible things happen. Yeah. That's a hard one, huh? Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's, it's awful. And I know you've had other cases in the past where um, you, one of the biggest challenges is, is reaching out to the victims and having them share their story because, I mean, some of these experiences can be absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, one of the f last few topics that I know that you wanted to go over was kind of just general info about cases, um, how mass torts work, kind of the national scale of it. Yeah. So mass torts are really different than your typical car accident, um, single event type of cases in the sense that, um, you know, a car accident, maybe it happens in the state of Arizona, you need to file it in Arizona state court, um, potentially even in federal court, depending on the circumstances on the defendant and that sort of thing. But, um, but it's very state specific. And the thing about about these mass torts is that they are not. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, all of these attorneys across the country are banding together. The cases are now all consolidated. So every single client that I represent, whether they're from Arizona or Alaska or Michigan or whoever calls me, um, their case is going to be filed 
in the Southern District of New York. Mm. So, um, so that's just a very different thing. I mean, as as must toward attorneys, we're filing cases all over the country, and we represent clients who are coming from all over the country. Yeah. Um, and in these types of cases, they're not filing them in the state. There, I mean, there are some exceptions where you might want to file it in the state. For, but that, that, that would be very specific circumstances. Yeah. And, and so even if you have a client in Alaska, when you file their case, if the case is already consolidated and it's consolidated in New York, then you're filing their case in New York, but you're still representing them even though they're living in Alaska and oh, these absolutely. damages happened in Alaska. Absolutely. Absolutely. The cases are going to get filed in, in New York for the consolidation. Now, yeah. if the cases are not resolved and the case ultimately gets litigated, it could potentially go back to Alaska for trial. And again, there's, there's options and different things that come into play in determining that as well. Um, But for example, if the Alaska case is one of the bellwethers or kind of one of the test cases, we talk about that was actually get litigated in Mm -hmm. New York. um, Although you would use Alaska law. So so it's it's, it's a little bit complicated, but the the big issue is that again, wherever you live um, in all likelihood, at least initially, your case is going to get filed in New York if it's an autism case. Um, Again, these other MDLs are all, you know, consolidated and in, in places in federal courts all over the country. Yeah. But whatever attorney you have, wherever they are, whether they're in Arizona or New Jersey or where, or Texas, um, they're going to be filing your case yeah. in New York. And that's how that, how that process and, works. And I think it can get a little confusing for people that aren't super familiar with, you know, where a case is being filed or where you have clients because it can definitely get confusing, right? If I hear that you're filing all your cases in Texas, if I have no background knowledge, I'm assuming you're only taking cases in Texas and following them there. Uh, But that's not the case at all with with mass torts. And so I think the primary message is that no matter where you are in the state um, and no matter where you are in the country, if you fall under, you know, the case, then um, you can be represented. And maybe your case doesn't get filed in your home state, but uh, it maybe gets filed in in a, in a different state where it's consolidated, but you're still being represented. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, and that's just, I mean, one of the questions I get asked the most is, you know, especially when we're on social media is, well, where are you located? And, and, and kind of going along with that as well, are you located where I am? And well, Probably not. <laughs> now with social media, I'm in Arizona, but um, we handle cases all over the country, and it really doesn't matter where where you're located for these types of cases. If you're in a car accident, it does matter. And it's essential for these type of cases. I mean, like we just you know spent a while talking about Tylenol and autism. We would be incredibly limited if we are only able to take cases in from Tucson, because obviously this is a national issue that has affected hundreds of thousands, if not millions of family over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, so it's essential that uh, mass stored attorneys are able to represent and take cases from all across the country. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, I think we are going to be closing out for the show. I don't know if there's any closing out statements or teasers you want to do for the next show. Um, Well, both. One thing I just want to kind of give a heads up, and I'm probably going to mention this for the next few shows um, until we hit the deadline, but um, Showered Law Firm does have a uh, scholarship that is available. Um, The submission deadline is May 31st. Um, It's been on our website for quite a while, and actually we've received quite a few submissions. Um, It is a women's equality scholarship, and if you are a high school or college student and you have an interest um, in law and specifically 
specifically women's equality, hop onto our website, check it out, um, and uh, submit. And we will be making a decision at, at uh, the end of May and uh, maybe get you some some cash to help you on your career yeah. start. So right. just wanted to kind of give a heads up on that um, just or a reminder on that. Um, and then just for um, for next week, we're, we'll – you know, I'll be catching up on some of these topics we've talked about today as well. Um, but the, the the main topic that I, I want to touch on, again, we're going back to babies, but the baby formula cases um, and uh, a condition called NEC that's um, very serious. Um, so we're going to, that, that will be the primary focus. But again, we'll talk about all kinds of fun and interesting things and happy to answer any questions that listeners might have as well. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is that we're really here to be you know, offering information for, for everyone else. So if there are any questions, feel free to reach out to us on pretty much any social media platform. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. You think of it, we're probably there. <laughs> or uh, we will be once you yeah. tell us about it. We didn't know about it. Exactly. Then we'll be on it. Yeah. And always shoot us a message and we'll get back to you. Um, but other than that, thank you everyone for tuning in on this show of prioritizing profits we'll be back next week talking about baby formula and nec Uh, but with that being said i think we're ready to close out the show sounds good thank you have a good week everyone prioritizing 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 dangerous drug and product cases